Reasonable Faith, Lesson 5, The Gospel, presented by Pastor James McIntyre. Well, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah said, Come now and let us reason together. So in this video, we want to continue to reason with you concerning our faith. And we actually, in this particular video, want to provide an answer to everything that we have been dealing with and addressing up to this point as it relates to sin, us having violated the laws of God, uh, the fact that the end of sin is eternal condemnation, and that there's not anything we can do to save ourselves. There's not any amount of good works or any particular good work that we can do to gain the favor of God. And that does leave us in a very hopeless situation. But this answer begins to shine some light on that and begins to bring some hope into this equation. And so what we want to reason with you about today in this the video is the gospel. And uh, there's a couple of things we want to note about the gospel. The first thing that I think we want to note is that the Bible declares that the gospel is the power of God to salvation. We can be saved, and the only way we can be saved is by the gospel. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So the Apostle Paul, in writing to the church of Rome here, he clearly identifies the gospel as being the power of God unto salvation. He is explaining, he is declaring, if you will, that while a man can't be saved by his good works. We talked about that in the previous video. He can be saved, but the means of that salvation is provided for him in the gospel. So this is an important thing to understand. So we can't be saved by keeping uh, the law. We can't be saved by good works, but you can be saved by the gospel. And uh, I think it's important to note that anyone can be saved by the gospel. doesn't matter what you've done. doesn't matter how egregious your violations of God's commands may be. Anyone can be saved by the gospel. Everyone can be saved by the gospel. And I think most importantly, you can be saved by the gospel. You today can be saved by the gospel. God wants to save you. So the whole reason that he put the gospel in place. The question then certainly should be asked, and it's a legitimate question, is what exactly is the gospel? Well, it is good news. Much of what we've covered to this point in these videos has not been very good news, and we've been belaboring the the point that we are not right with God, that we're at odds with God, that we're in enmity with God, but the gospel introduces good news into that equation. It's the contrast to all of that. It's the answer to the sin problem. And we're not left to guess what the gospel is. Uh, the Bible clearly defines that for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, where Paul writes, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory that which I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, 
scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Let me just point out to you from this passage the fact that Paul says the gospel had been declared to the Corinthians. He said uh, he made note of the fact that they had received the gospel, that they had embraced it, that they had believed it. He makes reference to the fact that they were standing in the gospel, they were continuing on in the gospel, and then he makes this very important declaration, by which also ye are saved. So Romans 1.16 tells us that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us that the Corinthians were saved by the gospel. And then another important uh, piece of information that this passage bears truth to is basically the definition of the gospel. Because Paul goes on and he says, I delivered unto you, first of all, that which ye also received. So we know he's making reference to the gospel here, but then he defines it for them. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So the gospel was declared to them, and the gospel was the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what was declared to them, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and I would have you note that if he died for our sins, that means he died for my sins. If he died for our sins, that means he died for your sins. The Bible tells us that Christ was buried and that Christ rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So again, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the gospel, that's what the gospel is, is the power of God unto salvation. It's important that we examine each of these elements of the gospel because they do rely upon one another for their standing. The first element of that is the fact that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, the death, the suffering of Christ. Again, Isaiah chapter 53, verses 5 and 6, the Bible prophesying of the Lord Jesus Christ says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep had gone astray. We turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. So we learn some important things here about the death and suffering of Jesus, and that is that when he suffered, the wounds that he incurred during his crucifixion were not wounds for his own sins. He had none, but he was wounded for our transgressions. Jesus died on the cross because I transgressed the laws of God. Jesus died on the cross because you have transgressed the laws of God. He was, he was taking the punishment for our sin, for your sin. The Bible says there he was bruised for our iniquities. Makes reference to the fact that all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And that's exactly what we were doing. That's why we're transgressors. We determine that many points along the way that we don't want to live according to God's laws. We want to live our own way. We want to do our own thing, go our own way. And what that ends up resulting in is us being like sheep that have gone astray. We're wandering. We're in danger. And in this case, spiritually speaking, we're in danger of eternal damnation because of our sin. But the Bible says that the Lord hath laid on him, that is on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. So our sins were laid upon the Lord Jesus Christ. When he went to the cross, he was bearing my sins there. He was bearing your sins. He was bearing the sins of the entire human race. 
In fact, Romans chapter 4 and verse 25, the Bible again speaking of Jesus says, who was delivered for our offenses. So again, I would just point out the fact that when Jesus was delivered up for execution as a Roman felon, it wasn't because he had done anything wrong. He had not been duly prosecuted and convicted. He was delivered up because of my sin and because of your sin. He was delivered for our offenses and all of the many places that you and I have offended a holy God and not kept his law. In fact, you go another chapter into Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 9. And the Bible says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. When we couldn't do anything, when we couldn't do anything to save ourselves, when all we were were just uh, wretched sinners and transgressors of God's law, we were without strength. The Bible says in due time Christ died for the ungodly. People say, well, I'm not ungodly. Well, that's too bad because the Bible says Christ died for the ungodly. We've got to admit and we've got to embrace God's assessment of our spiritual condition as it relates to sin in our life and that we are indeed ungodly. And then the good news is, is that Christ died for the ungodly. In fact, he goes on there in Romans and says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So in other words, the argument's being made, while most people wouldn't even die for a good or a righteous man, God commended or showed his love toward us, that in while we were yet sinners, what is a sinner? A sinner is one who transgresses the law of God. So while we were living in rebellion to God, while we were living as transgressors against his law, the Bible says that God loved us and Christ died for us. He died for us while we were transgressing his laws. In fact, he goes on in verse 9 of Romans 5 and says, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So, the reality is that we can be justified or made right with the law of God through the blood, the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we shall be saved from wrath. That is, we'll be saved from hell. We saved from the condemnation of our sin, a present and a future condemnation. We say from that through Jesus Christ, not through any good work we do, not through our baptism, not through doing any religious thing, but we'll be saved from wrath through Jesus. In fact, one of my favorite verses related to this whole topic is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. It's there where the Bible says, for he, making reference to God the Father, hath made him, making reference to Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the right righteousness of God in him. So the Bible clearly states the fact that God made Jesus to be sin for us. He took our sin upon him in such a significant way that the Bible can say and declare emphatically that he was made sin for us. And he says there who knew no sin. I've alluded to that a couple of times in this video, but here's the scriptural one of the places. There are others. The scriptural evidence for that. Jesus knew no sin. He was the son of God. He was holy. He was without sin. And it's only because of that that he could bear my sin. I can't bear your sin because I have my own sins. 
Jesus lived a sinless life. He was never a transgressor. He kept all the laws of God. And having done so, he became and was the suitable vessel to bear our sins and to become sin for us. And the Bible says he did that, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Oh, what good news. There is a means, there is a way that I can be made righteous. But it's not my own righteousness. It's not by doing religious things. But God will make me righteous through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. So, again, the Bible declares that Christ once suffered for sins. And remember, he didn't have his own sins. So if he was suffering for sins, the word is plural there, he was suffering for the sins of others. He was suffering for your sins. When Jesus underwent the Roman scourge and the Roman soldier there laying the lashes across his back and when they hung him up on a cross and the crown of thorns and all of the physical and spiritual suffering that he endured as God the Father turned his back upon his own son all of that suffering all of that anguish was because of our sin in fact he says it was the just for the unjust it was the one who had always done right for the ones who never could seem to get it right. And why did he do that? That he might bring us to God. The only way to get to God is through Jesus Christ. It's not through your baptism. It's not through going to church. It's not through reading your Bible. All of those things are important and they have their place in the life of believers. But the reality is the only way we're brought to God is through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said in John chapter 14 and verse 6, for I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus isn't simply a way. He is the way, and there's no other way. So the death of Christ in, in his dying on the cross, he bore our sin. He took our sin upon himself, so much so that the Bible could say he was made sin for us. And he suffered for our sin. He paid the price for our sin. He suffered the condemnation for our sin. The full wrath of God was poured out upon his own son because of our sin. The full tempest of his fury was unleashed against his own son, not because he had done anything wrong, but because he became sin for us. And God judged our sin in Jesus Christ. The second element of the gospel is the burial. Matthew chapter 28, verses 11 through 15, the Bible says, Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch, that is the guards, came into the city and showed unto the chief priest all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away and slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and they did as they were taught. And this same is commonly reported among the Jews unto this day. So this is this is after the resurrection, but clearly it's uh, 
its implication is that he was buried earlier in the passage. And in fact, as a result of his resurrection, the Bible says that... uh, that the soldiers that were guarding the tomb were given money by the religious leaders of the Jewish nation and basically paid to tell a lie that the disciples came and stole his body and they promised to intervene on behalf of them before the Roman authorities so that they wouldn't uh, be executed because of their dereliction of duty. But clearly the Lord Jesus had been in the tomb. He had been buried. And the reality is, is that him having his burial and spending three days and three nights in the tomb. The reason that's important, and oftentimes it's overlooked, but it is important because it basically authenticates the two elements of the gospel that secure our salvation. It authenticates the fact that he did die, and if he did die, then he was certainly resurrected. If it had just been a matter where he died and he was dead for a few minutes, it would have lended itself to much speculation and doubt. But the fact that he was buried for three days and three nights under a Roman guard, the fact that he spent that much time in the tomb, validates the fact that he was indeed dead, and thus when he rose from the dead, that that was also a legitimate understanding of what had actually taken place. And his his burial, that which happened between his death and resurrection, actually authenticates both of those elements. And then, of course, because he actually did die, and because he was buried and in the tomb for three days and three nights, it set the stage for his resurrection. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 4, speaking of Christ, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of Holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. So the resurrection does a number of things. One of the things that it does, and it's important, is the resurrection declares Jesus to be the Son of God. That's exactly who Jesus claimed to be throughout his earthly ministry. The Jews understood that to mean that he was claiming to be God. On a number of occasions, they took up stones to stone him for that very thing, believing he was guilty of blasphemy. And... um, It is the resurrection that proves and removes all doubt that Jesus was who he said he was. It authenticates his claims. When he was raised from the dead, no reasonable person could again look into the life that he lived and the message that he proclaimed and say that he was an ordinary man. No one could look at him and say, well, he was a good teacher. No one could look at him and say, well, he was a great prophet. When you consider the resurrection from the dead... We have to recognize that what he claimed about himself as being the Son of God was indeed true. In fact, you go over to Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 43, and the Bible says, And as they thus spake, that is the apostles minus Judas, who had committed suicide at this time, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen the Spirit. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled? Why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as you see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have you here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and a honeycomb, and he took it. And he did eat before them. Well, I'll just give you this passage to validate the fact that Jesus did indeed rise from the dead, and it was a bodily resurrection. 
The Bible says the apostles supposed that they had seen a spirit. They certainly weren't anticipating the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, even though they should have been. <clears throat> and the Lord tells them, knowing what they were thinking about all of this, is that a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see me have. And he presented themselves to him. He showed them his hands and his feet where he still bore the scars of, re of uh, crucifixion. And in fact, he ate before them. He ate a piece of fish and a honeycomb. All of this validating that he, was, that he bodily rose from the dead. In fact, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion, that is, his suffering and his death, by many infallible proofs. The idea of infallible is that of incapable of error. You couldn't, there's no way to get this wrong. There's no way to be mistaken about this. He showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So there were a full 40 days, a month and 10 days between the time Jesus rose from the dead and he ascended back to heaven and he was seen of people. He spoke to people. The Bible tells us in Acts 1 3 concerning things related to the kingdom of God. And so there's no question about the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ came back from the dead, that he was raised from the dead, that he was resurrected, not just raised from the dead, but he was resurrected. In fact, the book of Hebrews says he ever liveth to make intercession for us. And the question, I guess, can become, why is the resurrection so important? And I think Romans 4.25, I read uh, the first part of that earlier. Let me get to you the last part of it answers that for us. Speaking of Jesus again, it says, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. So he was delivered and suffered and died for our sin, and he was raised for our justification. Justification, again, just meaning to be right with the law. So it's important to note that our being made right with the law so that we're no longer condemned, our being right with the law, being saved, depends upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, then we cannot be saved, in part because that would be evidence that he wasn't who he said he was. But the fact that he rose from the dead, the Bible declares over and over again that he died for our sins, we have the opportunity and the hope of justification and salvation. Because the reality is, if he was not raised from the dead, then he was not who he said he was. And if he's not who he said he was, then he could not do what he said he did. And that is become sin for us, pay the penalty of our sin, bear the wrath of God in our place, and die in our stead. And this is important. This is what the gospel is. This is the good news of God that while we can't do anything for ourselves to save us from all of our transgressions of God's law, that God did something for us. Even when we were sinners, God did something for us. And that something is the gospel. And the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He died for our sins. He was buried and in the tomb three days and three nights, validating his death and his resurrection. He was raised again. He, he was resurrected. And as a result, we can be justified by that. And so the real question becomes, and we're going to look at this in the, in the final video, is how how, how does a person make the gospel meaningful to themselves? 
So Jesus did this. He did this for people. He did this for you. Now, what can you do? What has to happen for this to have meaning in your life? For this to be able to be applied to your life, for this to be able, for you to be able to hear this and know this, and realize this is what has saved me. This is this is an issue that we're going to consider in the final lesson. We're going to reason with you about that. But even already, you ought to realize that while there's nothing we can do to save ourselves, there's hope to be had, and that God made a way. God made a way, and there's great. There can be great joy in that if we're just willing to admit and accept God's judgment about who we are without Him, how we naturally are, that we're transgressors and that we're ungodly, and to realize that Jesus died in our place and rose again for our justification, that we can be made right with the law. There's good news there. How do I embrace that? The next video is what we'll be discussing and reasoning with you about that. Thank you. This podcast was presented by Pastor James McIntyre, edited by Caleb McIntyre, and formatted for podcast by Jonathan McIntyre. A Reasonable Faith is an independent production of Faith Baptist Church in Freeport, Texas. For more information, visit www.areasonablefaith.org.